Amen. I think we've already had a couple sermons. Doesn't it feel like that? <laughs> got a couple sermons. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness and for his whole body that he uses to exalt his truth. I love it. I love that we are not dependent on just one person to bring the word of God. But he has stewarded, entrusted his truth to the people of God. No one man can carry it. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We talked about how the people of God have been entrusted with the truth of God. And it's probably a, a good thing that I only have one point this morning. Because <laughs> it's already 11 o'clock. So I am going to be able to make this straight to the point. Because so many other people have been making this this morning. The church of Jesus Christ has one job, to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. One job. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and let's look at this together. This is a Pentecost Sunday. We've celebrated the Ascension Sunday last, the Christian calendar. We have these Christian holidays that is exciting as people of God, as people of Jesus Christ to remember and to celebrate the things that happened throughout the year. And Pentecost is 50 days. That's what it means. It just means 50. 50 what? 50 days. 50 days from what? 50 days from Passover, right? 50 days from Easter. And the, the word Shabbat, the festival in, in Judaism just means weeks. You know, I don't know what the Jews were thinking when they came up with these names. <laughs> or maybe the Lord told them to call them these things. But the Passover, that's not original, right? The Lord just passed over. Let's call it Passover, right? The Feast of Weeks, that's what Shabbat means. The Feast of Weeks, it's just, 40, it's just seven weeks, 49 days after Passover. Let's call it Weeks. Right? What, what's the third holiday that the Jews were, Jewish males were supposed to present themselves during the, uh, at the temple? The Feast of Booths. Because they build booths to remember their time spent in the wilderness. So you've got Passover, you've got the Feast of Weeks, and you've got booths. Not very original, but maybe I'm just being overly critical. It's possible. It's very possible. But the Pentecost is just 50 days after, after Passover and it stands for the Festival of Weeks, which is why when you get to the book of Acts, you have all of these God-fearing men from all over who were in Jerusalem. And then when the Holy Spirit fell, I'm going to assume you know a little bit about Pentecost. I won't give you the whole background. The Spirit fell on the believers of Jesus, and they started testifying. They started witnessing in many, many, many languages. I counted at least 15, and everyone from all the other nations who were there in Jerusalem heard the truths of God being proclaimed in their own language. A miracle, supernatural power from on high was given to believers to testify, to proclaim the magnificent works of God. So that was a little little preview of what Pentecost is and why we celebrate it in the Christian calendar was the beginning of the church. So today, Pentecost Sunday, 
We're going to see what the job of the church is. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we're just going to read eight verses. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. These are the words of the Lord. And there's something fascinating here. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. You're going to get power from on high, he says in Luke 24. You're going to be clothed with the power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Father promised. That spirit of truth, which he kept talking about over and over in John. You're going to receive the spirit that who's going to testify about me. And wait for that spirit isn't that amazing? You're going to receive the power from on high. And the disciples, their one comment has nothing to do with the power from on high. I like to think of it this way. Jesus saying, you guys are going to get power from on high, supernatural power to be witnesses. And the disciples, yeah, but about Israel. What about Israel? Are you, you, know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And if you want a fascinating study, go to Acts chapter 15. And look at how the apostles used the prophecy from Amos to say God has restored the kingdom to David. It's in Jesus, the son of David. He's restored the kingdom to David, to the son of David, Christ Jesus. That's how he's restored the kingdom. But he doesn't get into all that right now. He says, wait for power from on high. No. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons about when I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's my job. You have a job. It's not to know that. Right? And so I imagine maybe one of these face Paul moments like, how long have I been with you? Disciples, you have one job. You have one job and it's to be my witnesses. In where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, you have one job. You guys seen that meme? You had one job? That's what it makes me think of when I hear you have one job. You had one job. And it's usually some construction worker whose one job was to paint lines on the highway. And they just went over here and crossed over there. And you see all these memes, you had one job. 
The church has one job, to bear witness for Christ. What does a witness do? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And what do we see in the book of Acts? What did the disciples do? They told the truth. Everything we've seen and heard. This is what we know about Jesus. This is what Jesus taught. Here it is. Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 6, he said, this is what God has done. This is the truth of his scripture. And he didn't stop testifying to the truth even when he saw the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. He told them all, everything he saw. He was a faithful witness, a faithful proclaimer of the truth of everything that he saw, even to the point of death, and they killed him. But he was a faithful witness to the point of death, which is why he's called a martyr. Martyr comes right from that word, witness. A martyr is somebody who stands on the truth of God until they die, who will not compromise on the truth of God and who he is and what he's commanded until they die. That's what a martyr is. So when Jesus says, you are my witnesses, your job is to be my witnesses, your job is to testify to the truth, they couldn't compromise in any way. They had to stand on what they've seen and what they've heard. And then they wrote it all down for us. And that's what the truth is, has, that's what's been happening with the church for all generations, 2,000 years. We have a written testimony from the disciples of what they saw and heard, sealed with their blood, many of them. What's a written testimony? It's something you read in court. This is true, this is what I saw. That's the job of the church, to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. We have one job. And when we don't do that job, what good are we? If we don't stand on the truth of who God is, and what he's done, and what his commands are, then what's the purpose of the church? It should be a weighty thing to think about, to be witnesses to Christ. We can be false witnesses. That's a real thing. That's a, why is it one of the Ten Commandments to not be a false witness? Because you're not telling the truth. Parents, we have to be teaching our kids from a very young age to tell the truth. If that's not a capital... I shouldn't use the word capital punishment. If that's not the most severe sin in your household, maybe you need to reevaluate. It's a serious sin to not tell the truth. Over and over again, we see in the Bible, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't be a false witness. Don't be a false witness. Don't lie. Who's the deceiver? Nate brought up. Satan. All he does is lie. He's the father of lies. The people of God and the people of Satan are
are so completely separate. The people of God stand upon the word, the truth of who God is and what he said. And a church that's not doing his job is not good for anything. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world in Matthew 5. And a salt, a, a salt that's not salty, what's it good for? Throw it out. He said it's not good for anything. Because if the purpose of salt is to be salty, and it's no longer salty, it's good for nothing. A light whose sole purpose, a lamp whose sole purpose is to be put up on a lampstand and shine light so people can see, if you put it under a bushel and you can't see, what good is it? You might as well not even have a lamp. Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 says to the church in Ephesus, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to remove your ability to produce light if you don't repent. Because the purpose of the church is to bear an accurate, true, faithful testimony of Jesus Christ and what he's done and what he says and what he wants for us. Otherwise, we're just a community center. This, this may be hard, but a universalist, Unitarian church is good for nothing. Because it stopped teaching the truth about who God is and what he requires. And there's way better community centers out there. The Y has a pool. <laughs> right? Oh, Jordan, you're being too harsh. They serve in the community and feed the poor. And those are all good things. I'm not discounting anything else that the church does. But if the church loses its primary focus and purpose of standing on the word of God, it's good for nothing. have to be people who love the truth and know the truth and encourage one another to stand on the truth. That's the church's job. As an institution that he brought about, he gave us one job. Tell the truth. And that's why when we encourage one another, we are giving courage to one another to be accurate representatives of him. And there's two ways we do that. We do that in our living and in our teaching. Paul in 1 Timothy says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Guard them, keep them, your life and your doctrine. Why are those two things important? Because how you live, how the church lives, reflects who the head of the church is. Holiness is not just, you know, hey, 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 Jordan, the Puritans called, they want their holiness back, right? They want their obsession with holiness back. That was, that was for that old time of the church. No, it's for today. Because a church that accurately represents Jesus and who he is to be a church that's growing in holiness. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. 
but we're growing. We're encouraging one another. We're challenging one another. We have the ability. I hope you have the ability to say, hey, Jordan, what you're doing right here is not lining up with the word, with the truth. Your life is not an accurate reflection, an accurate testimony with what God requires. I pray that you have the boldness to confront one another. Because what we carry is greater than each individual one of us. We've kind of lost that in an individualistic society, in an individualistic church, church even. But here's the good news. It's kind of weighty, and it should be. Jesus said, wait. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell the truth about me, and a lot of you are going to die as you tell the truth. How's that for getting people to come into the church? Job opening. You guys have a job. We got a job opening. Must be faithful and true witnesses of Jesus Christ, even unto death. It's just not as popular. You know, Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. He's the amen. His very name means he only tells the truth ever. When he made the good confession in front of Pilate, he was just telling the truth. He never lied. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes. All right, now we're going to kill you. We can't compromise the truth of who he is or what he says for us to do. It's being a false witness. And we have one job and a false witness that pours out lies the Lord hates. So it comes to Pentecost, Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for power. Who's, who's able to do this in our own strength? Anyone want to sign up for that job? But we have the power. We've been clothed with the power on Pentecost. The Spirit came down. They waited. And he gave them power to testify. Supernatural power to speak the truth in a lot of different languages. Languages they didn't even know. And that's why he's called the Spirit of Truth. Because he will always empower his people to testify to the truth. And so that's why we can be confident and say, yes, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, not leaving anything out, because it's not our job to draw people to himself. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to myself. If we are not lifting up an accurate picture of Jesus and what he requires, we're missing the point because that's not our job. It's not our job to try and make things a little more palatable. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ will draw people in, regenerate hearts. We can't do that. So we have one job, church. Faithful, true witnesses of who Jesus is 
and what he wants from us. That's our job. And that's the beauty of Pentecost is he's given us the power to do it. He's poured out his spirit. You know the idea of pouring out is the same idea as pouring out the blood of a lamb? When you pour it out, you're not putting it back in the lamb. When the blood of a lamb is poured out, you don't just, oh, made a mistake. Now I've got to get all that and put it back in the lamb. There's no putting it back. That's the amazing gift at Pentecost. He poured out his spirit on his people. It's an incredible gift. And we have the power to live righteous lives. We have the power to repent when we don't. We have the power to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. And I pray, when we look back on my career, my time serving the Lord, we will look back, all of us like Nate, and say, we've been faithful. We've been faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. Man, I hope we can do that. And we can by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the gift at Pentecost. Power to testify, power to witness. That's, that's something worth being part of. The chosen people of God, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people of God. Carrying as stewards the truth of Christ. We can hold it out. And we can know that as we hold out the truth, God will draw men to himself. That's our job. He'll do his job. We can't get distracted. Can't lose focus. We have to know it. It's not just jobs for pastors and elders to know the truth. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all my people. Not just Elijah anymore. Not just Elisha anymore. Every one of us, the gift is for you if you have repented, believed, and are baptized. That's what the scripture says. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For all of you, you all have a part in carrying my truth. That's why we can see in 1 Corinthians, ah, you don't have to say to the foot, I don't need you. We all need each other. This is something so great and so magnificent, it's bigger than us. So I want to read in closing. 1 Corinthians 4. Just kidding, 2 Corinthians. I didn't even open my notes, Nate. I had them this time. I had them, but I didn't open them. <laughs> Let's read the truth of God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And earlier in chapter 4, he says, We all with unveiled faces... So at the end of chapter 3, 
reflect the Lord's glory. That's what the church does. We reflect the truth about who God is. All of us, every single one of us has a part to play in reflecting the glory of Christ. In verse 7 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus. So that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal, mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Therefore, we do not give even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This great magnificent gift that we've been entrusted with the good news about Christ, we're carrying around in weak vessels. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen, that means truth. Truly, what you're saying is true, and if you don't agree with it, then don't say amen, but because you don't think it's true, right? That's, that's how amen works. But we have this treasure, this all-surpassing great treasure in jars of clay, so that all the glory, all the honor, all the majesty goes to King Jesus because he is worthy. He is worthy of a holy church. He is worthy of a true message. He is worthy. He is worthy. Church, we have one job, but we've given been given power from on high to do that job. Let's do it well. That's all I got. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your Holy Spirit. You've given us an impossible task to be your witnesses, your faithful and true witnesses on the earth, in a rebellious earth that hates you. You've called us to be faithful and true and accurate about you. We need you, Holy Spirit. 
pray that you would empower us to do what you've called us to do, to testify to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. May we feel the weight of the task and then the gloriousness of your grace who enables us to do that task. And we say, you are worthy, King Jesus.